You're listening to Decoding the Code, the podcast for developers. Together with fantastic guest speakers, we explore coding myths, discover helpful tips for beginners and experts alike, and get a peek behind the digital curtains. Get ready for your host, Mark Backus. Hello and everyone, uh, welcome to Decoding the Code. Uh, today with uh, Simon Heuberg, a real entrepreneur, the creator of FeedHive. Uh, hello, uh, Simon, how are you doing? Hello, hello, Mark. I'm doing very good, thank you. And thanks so much for having me here. It's really a, a great pleasure already. Yeah, thank you for coming, uh, or for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to be here with me today. Um, yes, so, so the topic today is going to be uh, building SaaS platforms because you built your uh, SaaS platform uh, FeedHive. We get a little bit into that later. But first, I want to talk about your, your personal coding journey. Um, like, can you t tell us a little bit how long is it ago since you started programming and what is your journey like so far? Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually started playing around with uh, programming quite early. I probably uh, I probably was around um, 11 or 12 years old, something like that, nice. um, in the early teenage years. But it never really got to be anything serious. And I looked into a bunch of different things, uh, music production and... I actually ended up in sales and from mm -hmm. 18, 19 years old, I, I never really got an education. I just got into sales and, and that was really where I was good at that. And I earned good enough money that that I, I certainly couldn't complain. Um, and then I, I got into um, an area of sales where I was basically selling software. And okay. the, the interest in programming and software development never really fully uh like left me and i had no education in anything but very slowly around 20 21 years old i i started programming a little building small simple web pages and that went into like that was back in the days with php with that was the the, the big thing i built small systems and small pieces of software um small software to help out the selling team that i was with like a small interactive script um, manager so people could remember how to respond to what when they're talking to people it's these kinds of things and around when i was around 20 21 years old i i sold my very first web page which was really uh, like I, I couldn't i could barely do anything but i saw an opportunity and i was good at selling myself i was also very good at overselling myself that was something that i <laughs> I, I did a lot um, and there was this opportunity to make a web page for a small gym club um, at this time. And I just like went all in on that and said, like, that's me. I can deliver that. And they they uh, agreed on that. And I had to go home and teach myself a lot of stuff fast to, to, do, to actually <laughs> deliver that. But I did. They were happy somewhat. They paid me at least for it. And nice. from there, I kind of got like it, it, it definitely caught me to do more software development. And I slowly started doing a, a small consulting business where I would sell small software solutions, web shops, basically WordPress pages mostly, alongside with my career in sales. And soon I got more and more into consulting and I got better and better to a point where I was eight, eight years down the road with doing that. Yeah. I was still 
working in sales, but my consulting business actually generated more and more and, and bigger and bigger clients. And I found that I could actually now build quite um, sophisticated software solutions. I think that there's a sense of imposter syndrome playing here. Like I, I think when you when you haven't had any education or haven't been in yeah. working on it on a team that much, I think I at least had like some completely wild expectations of what people would pay you money for delivering in terms of actual software solutions. But when I got into working with bigger clients as a consultant that invited me to come and help the team, I actually realized that okay, I'm, I'm fully capable of doing that. So why don't I just go full time on this? And I did that around four or five years ago, um, stopped oh, doing nice. sales and went full on in my consulting business. And that's what I've done ever since. So I actually, I was actually never employed as a software developer. I've always only done my consulting business and that's what I've been doing up until now as well. Okay, nice. Uh, you, you talked about your background in, um, in marketing. W would you say that benefited you um, on your journey? Uh, I see you sell yourself great on Twitter as well and on other platforms. In like, so how much of an impact did your marketing background have on you? I, I think for, for what I do now, especially uh, becoming a founder and running SaaS products and so on and, and doing digital marketing and creating a brand on uh, on social media, the marketing part means a lot. Like I've really, really uh, benefited heavily on that. But I would say as a software developer, it's not strictly necessary, but it, it is beneficial. Um, I think especially when, when you are a software developer, especially on bigger teams, you tend to get caught up on very small details or you're, you're enclosed in this like very small scopes of the overall solution that you're building. Mm -hmm. And having had the experience of being the guy selling it all the way up there at the, the higher level of, of the solution that you're selling and actually talking to the end users that are going to be willing to pay a lot of money for this software or the companies that are going to be implementing this software as a as an integral part of their um, business routines. Being in that seat, having that perspective actually really, um, really did help. Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. So yeah, uh, let's talk a little bit about your SaaS product, FeedHive. Um, most of the, or some of the audience probably knows it's a platform for scheduling tweets, but um, can you tell us or the audience a little bit, wh what is FeedHive, what, is, what it is? Yeah, um, FeedHive is, is basically a tool for creating and managing, managing your, right now it's your tweets. It, it integrates with Twitter. You can create in, a, in an editor and you can schedule it. And it gives you a, a super nice overview um, of all the tweets you have currently in, in drafts that you can move into, into a scheduler. It also gives you a, a couple of unique abilities to actually pre-plan an outline, you can say, for when you are gonna want to tweet on a, on a more ongoing recurring basis. They're called tweet slots. And you can create these and attach labels to them to, to symbolize a category. And those you can actually use to automate your whole scheduling process. So instead of picking times manually, you can actually just write something, add a label to it and say like, this is a, a code tip and just press a button and it will find the next available one in the schedule for you according to the, the program that you laid out. So that's a yeah, little nice. bit of the features that, that it has right now. Yeah, I, I really like the uh, the idea, even though I don't use it as as <laughs> intended yet. 
because I'm more the spontaneous tweeter, but um, there's definitely some things like then sometimes I put like three memes in a row and then like two weeks nothing or something like that. And then, yeah, it's a little bit incongruent. And I think uh, congruency is or consistency is the word, I think, uh, what people are looking for. Um, and how how did you arrive with how did you come up with that idea for Feedhive? Well, it's it's actually interesting because Feedhive in itself is not really an idea I came up with. What, what are there at least fifty plus products on the market right now that does exactly this? Handles your content and schedules it. Um, so I think in in the summer uh, last summer of twenty twenty. I was starting my whole growth journey on, on Twitter. I had less than a thousand followers back at that time. And I started looking into um, understanding that in order to properly grow and have the, 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 the results that I desired, I would have to post a lot. I would really have to keep the audience engaged. And as you just mentioned here, consistency is it's the most important ingredients. You can do good content, but you need to make sure to deliver constantly in a constant flow. And the, I was, of course, looking into tools because I have, I had work, I was busy, I couldn't sit all day on social media and making sure that, that my content delivered on time. But the tools I found at the market at the time simply didn't offer what I wanted from, from a, a social media management tool. So it was really that I started making a, a small setup for myself. And in order to interact with the Twitter API, which you're you're basically using to instruct Twitter in when when it needs to tweet, um, even even that there wasn't really many good solutions out there to make that integration. So I started by building a small uh, open source library for Node.js, uh, which is basically a client you can install in in any Node.js or, or JavaScript based frontend or backend. And you can begin interacting with the Twitter API. And I open sourced that and found that there was actually a great interest in that. And then I built what was the very, very early stage of FeedHive, which was two, three cloud functions that I set up on Amazon ABS. And um, then I had a YAML file that I would mm -hmm. use to, to, to write threads. And I would have a little CLI tool that I could use to schedule. I could like it was a very nice. tedious, very manual process with uploading images automatically and pointing URLs and making sure like okay. um, very tedious. And then in in November 28 um, last year, I decided that you know what, let's try to make this into a product. Like if if I found a, a like something missing in the market right now, probably there are other users that will find the very same thing missing. So let's let's give this a go. That was kind of where it started. Nice. And what was the general idea of, of the, the project when it started? Was it like only scheduling or did you have like some specific pain point in mind you wanted to address? Yes. I actually think that, that what I built now with the tweet slots, that was one of the things that I found really useful and that no other tools really offered at, at the time. Um, I, I when when I started doing um, social media and and posting a lot, I I did realize that I have to to schedule more than twenty tweets alone every week, and sitting down on Sundays, which I typically do do <laughs> content creation scheduling, and just like on 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 demand, sit down, say like now I'm going to write twenty tweets, 
that can be difficult. And what I found extremely useful is to keep the schema. So I would literally just write it down on a piece of paper. I, I need to post four coding tips, um, two um, suggestions for stuff people can read, three fillers, one meme, one. So I would basically just lay down a schedule like that, like a program for myself. And this exact feature, doing this and then further automating that process because that was really what made me super productive and super effective. When I had this list, I could just sit every Sunday and it was much, much easier than just getting to the keyboard and do like, what, what do I tweet? To just have this checklist of things that I just need to go through nice. and just start, start, start doing it. It made me so much more productive. And that was really the thing that I thought, like if I can make this into a SaaS product, I'm, I'm sure that other people will, will have this issue. And if I can make this into a SaaS product, I may actually be onto something here. No, no one else on the market offered yeah. this this feature at the time. Yeah, I, I definitely think you are onto something, and um, also your, your traction, your the product, uh, the <laughs> the traction product is getting. I think it's it shows a little bit into into the right direction. I think I see some big uh, accounts uh, using uh, FeedHive on a regular basis, and um, I wanted to talk now a little bit with you about um, building in public. Like you are very open about what you're building, um, which I find it's it's very cool. So you can see this thing, this thing developing and you can even like comment stuff and you you respond always to, to suggestions, which I think is really nice. Um, uh, is this a deliberate choice to, uh, did you say, okay, I will build this in public so people can see how it, how it works when you develop something or is it more like the, uh, a thing that you share anyways stuff and you, you told yourself why not also share like this journey? It was quite deliberate. Um, I, I really like the concept of, of building in, in public and the whole open startup uh, movement. I, I really think that's cool. I think I, I think it's beneficial for, for people in a very specific um, situation that would be like solo founders or small startups, um, people doing small indie products. I think when you when you post about your 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 process, it's really not that people sit there and think I'm um, just dying curious about how FeedHive is doing. What people get out of it is hope. You inspire. You you actually deliver yeah. something that makes people think like, okay, maybe that's actually that's actually something I could do as well. And, and, and maybe even give them the courage to do something something similar. So I think building in public was perfect for the situation I was in. I don't think it makes a lot of sense if you are a, a medium to large company, like posting yeah. and sharing that now we have $650,000 recurring revenue every <laughs> month doesn't really give people a lot of hope yeah. or like that's so big and it, it, it won't really make people resonate because people don't really care. What people care about is, is that hope that you that you deliver. For me, it make it perfect sense. I I would definitely advise this. Um, it, it, it does take a lot of courage because you are really putting yourself out there. And there's a lot yeah. of people like I think I think that there's you 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 get into this imagination that a lot of people will judge you based on this, and I think it's important to remember that it's actually when you post these not that impressive numbers that people like it the most because this is where people actually get yeah. their hopes up and say like, okay, I could maybe even do something like that. So so yes. for people building in public, these are the things that you want to share. It it's not even that much the super impressive stuff. Like I keep keep the mediocre. 
uh, stuff as yeah. well because that's really what what people get a lot out of and i'll definitely recommend yeah. it for me it was deliberate it's it's an it's an awesome way to do marketing it's the really really good way to create awareness about what you're doing nice yes i remember i remember a tweet when you launched it you were something like 63 days of development which is not all that much like and you have like a complete product it's uh yeah it's ready to go and now you're just adding features and fixing bugs so that's also like a number like oh yeah in two months i can build this but yeah. um Exactly. Um, yeah, uh, coming back a little bit to uh, building in public. Uh, building in public can be beneficial. You said um, you inspire people. People can see, oh, this is how, how something works. But what about um, people that will steal your ideas? Are you afraid that someone comes along and copies the uh, idea of FeedHive? Or maybe that already happened. And how do you deal with that? I, I, I love this question because it's actually one of these questions that has more to it that 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 you would typically think like often when I hear this debate about um, putting it out there and people stealing your idea, there are two kind of sides. There are the side that says like don't do that, like keep it to yourself. You won't want to reveal it. Then there's the other side that that typically says like no no don't worry, people won't steal your idea anyway. And I don't think none of them are are entirely true. When when you put um, when you put your idea out there early, there is a legit chance that someone will come and steal it and 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 run with it, and that that's a risk that you just need to to live with that that can happen and it does happen. However, when you kind of like break break the, the the reasoning down for this, the reason that people don't want to put it out there uh, in fear that people want to steal it, they're really saying they want an advantage. They want to be ahead of the game. When when they do that, because it, it like eventually you do need to put the idea out there, right? Like you, yeah. you need to market it, you need to sell it to your clients, and and yeah. at that day of launch, the idea will be out there, and all your competitors can now steal it if they want to. So the reasoning is really to say that day when I do that, I will be so much ahead of the game that potential competitors won't have a chance. I'm I'm I'm, I'm way way ahead, and where that might be true, here's the 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 backflip of that. If you sit in secrecy and built and you only include very few or maybe even no users at all, the day that you launch, you may be ahead of the game, but you will most likely be ahead of the game in a completely wrong direction. And what will happen yeah. is that you will launch, a lot of users will now get into the platform, they may be interested, but they will find that the way that you did it just doesn't really suit them. It is not really helpful. They will now begin to give you all this, this feedback very publicly. And you will most likely have to start all over. So not only will you be back at square one, but now you're also, um, you're also creating a lot of feedback that your competitors can now take and use yeah. to start their own thing. So really, by not revealing your idea first, you're actually giving your competitors an advantage. So I would highly recommend to just get the idea out there and get feedback and then just say, fair enough, there's risk associated with both of these because when I put it out there, there's a risk that someone might steal it, but live with that because the risk of you hitting it perfectly right the first time by building ahead in secret will be way, yeah. way, 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 way higher. You most likely yeah. 
yeah. not have a it's, successful product that way. It's very expensive, right? Like you, you, you're there. Like uh, I saw a tweet from you. I think today, even like you, you can't waterfall it. Something was it you or someone else? Yeah, I, I, yes. I tweeted that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't waterfall it because if you develop everything, it can be perfect for you and or, or what you thought the people would want. And then at the end, it's like, okay, not exactly. So. So you're doing like the uh, lean startup kind of absolutely. Uh, I'm a huge yeah. fan of lean startup like that. And also, yeah. it, like it, it's also worth worth adding that um, I I actually have. There are a small, a couple of other small indie pro uh, products on the market right now that does the same as Feedhive. And and I see the founders of these products log into Feedhive regularly, <laughs> and and I also do see them implementing Feedhive features. <laughs> with with like a delay of two three weeks, and I'm I'm 100 fine with that. That that's really not like I think you don't really want to worry about competitors. What you want to worry about is execution. You yeah. want to sit down and tell yourself that I'm gonna make the best product here because competitors will be there even if you happen to hit it perfectly right that first time and you got that advantage. If you're imagining your SaaS product being on the market for years down the road, there will still be plenty of time for the, your competitors to catch up on you. And by, yeah. by nature, you can't keep it a secret forever. And the users, they don't care who got the idea first. They only want to yeah. use like a, a good product. So, so don't sit down and worry about competitors. Worry about executing instead and making the best product that you can. That's the best way to, yeah. to, to really face that fear. Nice. And uh, what are some other tips you can give people that say like, oh, yeah, I have this idea for a SaaS product. And where do I even start? Uh, you have some tips about like how to even like get going on, on building your product because it's a long road, as I understand it. Absolutely, it is. And and now you, you mentioned Lean Startup just before. Um, I think this whole mentality of building a fully user-centric, user-driven product is really what you want to be doing. Um, if I had if I had built quite like just a little bit further ahead with FeedHive, I would have built something that was uh, probably completely going to miss the target. So what I did with FeedHive was started, I started the 28th of, of November to build something and I set very basic stuff up. And already, I think it was 10 days after I went into to I I have these Twitter groups on Twitter that that I talked to with some people in private, um, and I just posted it in there saying, like I'm building this tool. Would you want to try to come and and be be early adopters on this? And um, 20 25 people signed up, and we created a separate group just for FeedHive feedback, and. Nice. From day one, they were delivering all this crucial feedback that I needed to develop a good product. So start like build something super small and tiny, and then get users on board and build it with the users. One thing is going out and and asking users, "What do you think of this and this?" Because feedback is important. But what I think is even more essential is to get some early adopters on board that that's kind of there to stay. They want to build this thing with you. I, I spoke to nice. people daily in that group. Uh, in the entire December and a good part of, of um, January and 
for, for, for actually also February, actually we, we, we talk almost daily and there's still about upcoming features and, and feed hype and, and, and so on. So so do yourself a favor, do that. Um, spend some time grooming your network and find a, a few. It doesn't need to be 25, it can be 100, it can also be five or, or just a couple, but just get some users on board so you know that you're building this product for someone, not your imagination, yeah. but for someone that's going to be using it almost from day one. Okay, that's definitely a good advice to like, don't just build something because you think uh, it will be right, but have someone who like tells you here and there. Um, so you can't be afraid of uh, criticism, like absolutely or afraid that that your idea will be maybe not good. I think that's uh, an important thing to to mention that um, absolutely. when you put it out there, you, there is a chance that people are like, um, yeah, well, this is pretty cool, but I wouldn't use it because of X and Y and Z. Absolutely. But the good thing is, like, you know uh, what X, Y, and Z are, and instead of just like assuming things, I, I think it's assuming is like very dangerous for startups. Very much. And and what the only thing that you can assume is that you most likely will assume wrong. And I actually <laughs> think kind of back to the 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 whole building in public and putting it out there. Um, you can, you can, because I think that fear of being rejected or maybe even publicly being, it's embarrassing to look like a failure, you built some, something wrong. You can just ask yourself what you think is, is, would be worse to, to build something, put thousand hours into it, then publish a fully fledged product and then no one really caring. Or is it less embarrassing to put something out that you spent 20 hours on at some prototype, high fidelity, you can click around and then people saying, nah, which of these are gonna be gonna hurt the most? So if you're afraid in the yeah. beginning and you keep pushing, you're not ever gonna get rid of that fear of being rejected. You're only gonna make it worse because after a long time, it will really hurt if you put thousand <laughs> hours and a lot of money and a lot of effort into it. Yeah, I think you you kind of have to grow a thick skin for something like that. Like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk always says, like you can't care too much about others think because you will just like be behind like i don't know you, you just cannot care well or should care but in a way constructive not like just be like oh my god they said that my inter uh, interface is ugly or they said that uh, there are too many bugs or something i think it's like you do your thing and just look look ahead instead of backwards which is absolutely absolutely yeah uh a question I had here really at the beginning, I I forgot to, uh, to ask you, um, which, or can you tell us which tech stack you're using for this or is it a secret? It's not a secret at all. And and in fact, uh, you can visit my YouTube channel. I recently uh, <laughs> put a video going for breaking it completely down, but I'd be happy to elaborate here as well. Um, I'm using uh, AWS and I'm mm -hmm. using React on the front end. So that's like the very basic. Nice. But Feedhive itself is an entire serverless application. Um, it has some very great benefits, especially when you're bootstrapping, given that you don't really pay for uptime on anything. So if you if you architect this the right way, you're going to be paying for the amount of time that your individual individual functions are executed in the in the cloud, and per times that you're going to read something from the database, write something to the database, read and write to the cache, so on and so on. And in terms of scalability um, of a SaaS product, doing this kind of architecture is really good because when you don't have any users, you pay close to nothing. And then it actually scales quite nicely when, when you go up there. Of course, 
if you get millions of users, at some point it may be be beneficial to run something that is based on a more paper uptime approach. Then you get into something bigger like Kubernetes, where you can run uh, nodes that that are constantly running and and and, and handling traffic. But it's for a long time there. Running a, a, a completely serverless application is absolutely something I will recommend. All right, that that would be <laughs> would have been my next question about scaling. Um, how how do you plan that? But you already answered. Um, yeah, serverless is is a great way to start, and then later you can scale if needed. Yeah. If you have millions of users, oh, all right. Um, yeah. Do you have maybe some uh, current numbers, like in in terms of uh, users, user count, or monthly uh, recurring revenue, or do you have something you can tell us how much you had in, like how for how long have you been developing it now? For oh, that must like, be um, a little more than three months. A little bit more than three months. Okay, and how many yeah. users and uh, revenue do you have? How so let me far? just find right here I actually have some numbers I always have always have numbers uh, ready when <laughs> when someone's asking so right now there are um, a thousand users just around a thousand users that have created a profile on on feedhive and nice. there are 80 to 100 users every day that log in so that are are unique um, daily active users well nice. And in terms of revenue, do you have people, many people buying the subscription? Actually, um, more than I could have hoped at this point. We we have now ninety nine people on the pay plan, which wow, um, nice. which, which leads to around five hundred and thirty uh, monthly recurring revenue dollars. That wow. is, congratulations to that. Thank <laughs> you. That are great numbers. Uh, that that cool. that's okay for for, for the, the the place that we're in, and that this is. Still, really, a, a smaller indie product um, than I am. I'm very satisfied with it. Absolutely. Nice. And uh, on the on the long, no, not on the long term, on the short or middle term, um, what are you, you your goals for for Feedhive? For example, in in this year, 2021, what would the goals more or less be? Well, more or less, it would be that um, that Feedhive hits 10,000 uh, monthly recurring revenue. Um, nice. but, but there is a but to that because I actually have a discreet hope that it will also be more. Um, I, I can reveal that that we are actually um, a few people involved now and that I am uh, we, we're uh, establishing an actual team at this point. Um, so nice. I, I already have uh, one uh, public uh, collaboration with uh, with Dan, uh, Dan Spratling uh, from uh, a Twitter uh, oh, guy yeah. that's really, really awesome to do UX um, and a great designer. He's helping out with the web page and, uh, and and a complete redesign of the app. And then um, there's a co-founder that joined, and then there's going to be uh, two more developers joining, all Whoa. people that are known in the tech Twitter space. I, I can't disclose more right now, um, but, sure. um, but we are going to be a team of five people um, very soon. And with that in mind, um, I really uh, actually envision that we can we can take this also quite a bit further than 10K. Uh, this year, but oh, let's see. Nice. It's hard. Yeah, well, I will be following this thing. I hope the audience as well, because it's it's always nice to to see like a startup like starting and growing and everything. 
Um, yeah. Uh, what I also wanted to to ask you about the general thing of creating a startup or SaaS and marketing it and so on. Do you need to be a specific kind of person to do this? Like, do you need some skills that are beyond the technical? Uh, what else do you need to do something like this to put it off? I think that you most definitely uh, do need skills beyond just being being a good developer. Um, there's a saying uh, that to build a, a really good SaaS product, you need a uh, you need a hacker, a hipster, and uh, a hustler. So there are, there are three uh, age ages right there, and the hacker being the software engineer that can build a a super nice scalable solution. But you also need the hustler, a person that can sell it and really knows a lot about sales and marketing. And you also need a hipster. You need someone that can really make it more fresh, more modern, and more appealing than, than your competitors. And most likely, you won't have all of these three in you. I know that I don't. And I think it's important to plain down, just admit that. You can get far by doing um, a product as a solo founder, but as soon as you get to a point where you realize that that I may actually be onto something here, go out and find co-founders. That's that's the best thing you can do um, because you won't have all of these three in you. I, yeah, I've been course. so happy to, to have both the, the hustler and the hacker in me. Uh, so I, I have a background in sales and, and I also, I'm, I'm a software developer now, um, which which I'm, I'm fortunate to do so. Um, I don't think that in, 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 in the world of software development, people that are into coding and have been doing that their whole life, they're not just going to be picking up being a good salesman. So so admit that and go and find someone who is. And I, I want to say to all people that are software engineers out there that if you, if you want to found a SaaS product, there's absolutely no doubt that you as a software engineer are in the best possible position um, because there are a lot of people out there that can do marketing really people almost overbidding each other and again with the ux designer there are like a designer in, in general they, they they're they're a bit more expensive but you as a software engineer is going to be in terms of of, of budgeting and pricing you're going to be the expensive one imagine you being the marketing guy with a great idea you have to go out and find yourself software engineers it's a big, it's big risk to take because it's super pricey. If you're the software engineer, you can actually acquire the two others, especially the salesperson, for a fair amount of money. They're not that pricey on the market right now, and that's just something to keep in mind. Ideally, you go out and find co-founders um, that join in and get equity. But if you want to actually establish a team and pay you're really in the best position. You can do consulting on the side and actually earn enough money to, to pay quite a good deal of, of the other people that you want on board. But yes, to answer your question, you do need more than just being a software engineer. And there's no shame in going out there and finding people that are good at the stuff that you're not good at. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so that's it with the questions. And I, I just want to, like, sometimes on this show, I have, like, myths that I want to debunk. So also this time for SaaS products, I think the the topic right. uh, lends itself to, there's some myth about it. So I Googled some and I brought you some. And would you mind if you just, um, I asked them to you and you quickly answer if it, is it uh, a myth or is it debunked and uh, why? I can try, yeah. 
All right. Um, first one, uh, you can't sell until your product is perfect. Already a good one. That's absolutely false. Uh, that That's a myth. I, I think that everything proves that. Just look at, at, at the indie products that's going on on Twitter right now. Uh, uh, people are more than willing to pay for something that's undone. If 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 the if if you show goodwill, if the potential is there, if they're looking forward to the product being polished, um, just as a quick note, I can say, just after I launched Feed High publicly for everyone, the following upcoming days there were so many bug reports. Like people, even people <laughs> that had paid for the product, they it was storming in. And everyone was just nice. Like people even went through the trouble of making screenshots and small videos to explain and saying like, I really love your product. I just want it to be uh, even more cool. Um, so so don't be afraid of, of, of publishing something that you're not fully 100% uh, proud of yet. You can easily market it and you can also sell it for sure. All right, uh, myth number two, SaaS is built for low end users. SaaS is built for low-end users. Uh, that's that's entirely not true. Um, it th this may have been true many years ago when this idea of selling software on a subscription basis was very new. Today, you have products like Adobe Cloud, Creative Cloud, for instance. Essentially, it's a SaaS product, and there are professionals in the entire world using stuff like that. Amazon, like Netflix is running on Amazon. Amazon is a SaaS product, essentially it is. And like some, someone like Netflix is running their entire infrastructure on, on Amazon uh, web services. So that, that's 100% false. It's not just for low-end users, no. All right, uh, with SaaS, you lose control of your data because it's all on okay. your server and- You don't own it. It's, it's partially true. It's not 100% false. I however, I do want to say that most good SaaS products, they offer ways to export data, data points from the application that you can import into something else. Um, there are a lot of regulations in terms of how you keep and persist data. I, I, it's not 100% something I can debunk. So I would say if you're as a business investing in a SaaS product and you have this worry, do make a little research about how the SaaS product is handling data. All right, and I think the last one, uh, SaaS applications, because they share data and everything, they are unsecure. I don't believe that, um, that that's true. Again, it's hard to say because it all comes down to how the individual product is handling things, but there are so many great third-party providers of authentication and security modules today, and mostly all SaaS products are using them. So in terms of data integrity, it's not, you can't per definition debunk that entirely, but it's not yeah. something in, in most cases that, that you should worry about. All right, um, I think that's everything I wanted to talk about. Uh, is there some, maybe something, uh, Simon, that you wanted to, uh, to tell the audience about uh, SaaS in general or FeedHive in particular? Yes, there's actually one thing that, that I would really like to add to any founders out there that are looking to, to build a SaaS product. Do not be afraid to enter an established market. It's one of the things that I hear and one of the fears that I hear the most. 
And it's like there, there, there are two types of founders in the world, right? That there's the kind of founder that that never really saw themselves as being a SaaS founder or running a SaaS product, but they just happen to stumble upon this solution, and it's just an itch so bad that they just can't help it. There are not a lot of founders like that. Most founders out there are guys like me that says like, I just want to run a SaaS product, like any SaaS product, really. It's just like, I really like that way of doing business and, and making a living for myself. So I'm really just looking for something that will work and that people will be willing to, to pay for. If you're that kind of founder, enter an established market. It's by far the easiest you, you, will, you will get into. Don't try to be super innovative. And there's a difference between a saturated market and, and, and an established market, where an, a saturated market is a market where the, where the demand is, is so low and the supplies is just like really fighting to, to like fighting over the few clients that there's left. An established market is a market where supply and demand is kind of like racing. And that's where you see management tools, productivity tools, uh, tools that you can use to like task management and project management and things you can do note down stuff with. Mm -hmm. You see a new one launch like all the yeah. time. And it's not yes. that people are like, are you, or can you come up with something more unique? No, it's just that it's a super, super good market. There are so incredibly many users out there that there will for sure be users that like exactly the version that you did. And there's really enough for everyone. I, I like, yeah. when I was entering with Hive, I, I, there was Hootsuite and Buffer and a lot of other really big players out there, but that didn't really scare me. And still today, I have people writing to me saying that I really like FeedHive. It's so much better than Buffer. And that's not that Buffer is a bad product. It's just that there are users out there that will prefer yeah. exactly my version. And if the market is big enough, that small amount of users that prefer exactly your version will be sustainable. That will be enough to actually run a business. So that would be my, my final advice here to any founders out there don't be afraid of that question, like, how does this differ? It's fairly completely okay to say, well, it doesn't really, but there's just so much demand for this that I'm going to bid in with my way. And that's really nice. it. Okay, I think that's a nice note to end this episode. Uh, cool. I want to thank you so much, Simon, for taking the, your time to uh, come on the show and for answering all the questions. And um, I hope to see and hear you uh, soon. And also, um, I hope to see you next time um, to the audience uh, on the next episode. Thanks a lot. Bye. It was a pleasure. Bye. Thank you for listening to Decoding the Code. A new episode will be available every week. So don't forget to tune in next Monday. For past episodes, check out the website, decoding.show. Thank <laughs> you.